Welcome to episode 295 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a show where we talk filmmaking from indie film to studio film to TV and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them and how to try not to F it up in our very, very humble opinion. I am Tobias Feitz, I'm a screenwriter and director and I'm the editor of the Filmmakers Podcast and I'm here to tell you that this is part two of our Wolves of War special. If you haven't already, do check out part one as Charles chats with DUP Stuart Nicholas White and some of his cast, including Matt Willis, Jackson Booth, Anastasia Martin and and Rupert Graves. Today he talks with his editor Neil Lenthal and composer Christopher Cook. But let's hear it from the man himself. Enjoy! Let's go on to Neil Lenthal, a uh, brilliant editor. I've only ever worked with one editor on films that I've directed before, Ollie Parker, who I love. So working with Neil, I was like, oh, okay, how's this going to be working with a different editor? And it was a fantastic experience. Um, Neil is a lovely guy, as you'll tell from this interview. He's wonderfully knowledgeable about editing, and he's always up for helping uh, other people as well. He edited Confession, Lucinda Rhodes' film before that, uh, which is how I got in touch with him uh, in the first place. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy my chat with editor Neil Lenthal. Hey Neil, how are you? It's so good to see you. Oh yeah, you too. Let's talk about Wolves of War because I really, really enjoyed our collaboration on it. I really enjoyed working with you and finding the beats and seeing what worked and what didn't and what we took out and what we didn't. And and we kind of shot quite lean anyway. There wasn't much, you know, we were sh shooting the story and it's four guys really on a mission. It, they need to get from A to B to C to not death to survive and or not survive and get home so how when you first get a project do you think okay how am i going to approach this or how am i going to work with the director what is it about projects that appeals to you and how do you approach them first of all i suppose and wolves will use as the example i generally look for four things yeah and I'm trying to remember exactly what those four things are. I mean, the script is... <laughs> four things. I don't know what the four things are. This is just four things. <laughs> I feel like I've been doing... I've been, uh, last week was a 75-hour week and uh, this week has been slightly less. So such so, so is film and TV. Um, <sighs> so I'm a bit... I managed to miss my stop today on the train. <laughs> Jesus, because you're so tired. So the four things I look for, like script is the first thing, like story which is a bit of a vague sort of term i don't kind of like to use that as a because it's kind of like what do you mean by story i think that's something mm -hmm. that like for new for new people and you know when people say oh you know an editor is a storyteller okay well, what do you mean by like if you don't know anything about editing like that doesn't really tell me so anyway so like i look for like a script like what is it is it engaging are the characters interesting am i sucked into the world do i feel like it has potential i think it's you know you want you want to you know, I, I'm not a big fan of reading scripts and that I don't really, I feel like there's a lot of things that aren't in scripts that are, that are other things that I'm really looking for. Mm. Like tone, performances obviously aren't in scripts, you know, how it looks, like all those kind of things that when you, you get the rushes, a lot of the elements that you're looking at, you know, yeah, tone and performance and, and, and the image and so on, you know, and some scripts that there's, they're present in some sense and, you know, particularly well-written scripts. But in other words, you know, those things are kind of not there for obvious reasons. So I'm, I'm kind of looking at like the potential of the script. Like, is this an interesting story? Can this make something? The second thing is director. Yeah. Like, is the director like smart? 
like do they get it because i think mm. you know a lot of you know you work with like directors of a whole 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 range of experience everything from people doing their first films to people who've been in the industry for 25 years and you know mm. all that kind of thing and, and i think like you know when i talk to a director i'm like my judgment like i'm trying to find out like are they smart and perceptive you know like can they do they understand what they have to do as a job because i mean this maybe sounds bizarre but like a like a lot of inexperienced directors haven't quite figured out like exactly where like what their responsibilities are in the sense mm. of you know of, of not just the kind of practical day-to-day -day stuff but in terms of like how how do you get the sound and images that you need to tell a story in an interesting way so i'm always like like yeah. you know what's the director like and having a chat with them and trying to figure out like you know do they do they understand the language of cinema you know that kind of thing <laughs> mm, yeah do they have a vision do they know what they want to make yeah and that that's yeah and i think it's so important you, you have to have that vision you have to be able to explain it right and you're looking for that you're going uh, yeah and if they don't do you just go well yeah i probably don't want to do this yeah i mean you take you take jobs for different different reasons you, you know you, some jobs you take for the money some jobs you take for the credit some jobs you take for the project and what you think the project is going to be like on you know as a process and sometimes you know ideally you want at least two two of those things sometimes you just do it for one occasionally you get a job that is great for your cv is puts money in the bank and you know it's like a fun a fun ride mm. but it often feels a little bit like the good fast cheap triangle where you only get two <laughs> you can't get all three um, yes. and so i think yeah 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 it's vision and it's can they execute that vision as well because i think like you know like my job as an editor obviously is to like help the director tell the story that they want to tell and you know and i'm like you know as an editor you're sort of a or you're trying to be a storytelling expert you're trying to understand audiences and stories and structure and you know all those kind of elements that you use and that you utilize and you ideally want a director who understands stands those those elements too and that's not to say that you know i keep coming across directors who i think are idiots and no. aren't deserving to, deserving to work with me but you know <laughs> <laughs> but you do um i guess i was thinking about the other day actually i was kind of you know being working as edit producer on this tv job and uh, you know kind of thinking like oh basically the, i guess the two things i'm looking for really not even for the two things i'm looking for are like is this person smart and perceptive and is this mm -hmm. person e easy to work with because i think the order i get the more like the less tolerance i have waiting for people who are difficult or awkward or there's just a general personality class because you know it's not it's not about someone necessarily being difficult sometimes it's just you kind of don't mesh personality wise and i do think like and i think like one of the uh, yeah one of the things that was most enjoyable about wars was you know like working with a director who like is smart and perceptive but it was also quite sort of um not easy going in a negative sense but easy going in the sense of like you know it's not because i because you sometimes work with directors who especially younger directors who feel like you know oh this film has got to like it's got to be successful otherwise that's my career that's mm. and I'm, I'm someone who works better in an environment where you know i'm a kind of a carrot person rather than a stick person i don't really i don't really appreciate you know if someone starts shouting at me i'll shout shouting back you know i don't really appreciate you know someone who kind of brings a bad vibe to things i don't feel like you know personally i get my best work out of that kind of environment so i do i do like to mm -hmm. you know work with directors who are yeah focused and professional and so on but but who are you know kind of easy going and, and easy to work with and you know and, and understand like what everyone's trying to do and that everyone's probably in the same direction yeah which is great what i really like about that is you t 
talked about me in the third person as if I wasn't here and I really like that. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's really <laughs> nice when what I liked about working on walls with uh, on walls with with a director who was uh, intelligent perspective. So I think you said intelligent. You probably didn't, but uh, I'm going I, with that. I did, I did say intelligent. <laughs> I mean, maybe not specifically in terms of the director of walls, but I did say that I do like working. <laughs> we, can, we can put you in. We can put you in that category. That's fine. Thank um, you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, okay. So with walls, let's talk about the process of what you do when you get rushes through you know you make a, a rough assembly let's talk about walls as a perfect example walls of war what what did you do with all those amazing rushes you got through <laughs> intelligently made uh, oh yeah yeah no very there's a very perceptive smart director on that project, yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that director's head will be massive right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Man, what, yeah, he's already got a big enough head, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Wills was slightly unusual, actually, because I didn't come on board until... Actually, I think I came on board. Like, you guys were just finishing shooting. Serious? Was it? Yeah, so I didn't get anything until after you... you You'd um, wow! I don't remember that until after you'd wrapped. So, so yeah. Usually, you get you know you start getting rushes through by the day, and you're trying to do basically get through a day's rushes in a day. You know, roughing out scenes. On that one, it was slightly different. Um, and that yeah, I just got everything together. I started going through day by day, and then realized actually I might as well just do it chronologically. Mm. So yeah. So I mean, you know, I mean the first the first stage in terms of actually having rushes is to watch stuff because what you're trying, you know, you're trying to basically get to the point where you have a script. I, some people call it a rough cut. Some people call it an assembly. Some people call it an editor's cut. Yeah. I prefer the term script cut just because that's kind of, I feel like that's what it is. That it's basically the script up on screen. You know, you're not, I'm not moving scenes around. I'm not dropping lines of dialogue. All I'm trying to do is kind of make sure I have all the story beats. And then make sure I have like the script up on the screen because everyone's been working on this thing for months and maybe years and everyone's been following it as a blueprint. And so the first thing I think you need to do really is just to see that up on screen so you can see why isn't isn't working. Yeah. Directors hate assemblies because it's never the film that they want to see. Nope. Nope. Editors hate assemblies because it's always a scramble to get it done. So that's why I don't like calling it an editor's cut because it always feels like you often, you really do get a proper editor's cut, you know, like a version in which you've kind of said, oh, here's my ideas. You know, sometimes mm. you do get an opportunity to go, I've got, I mean, I usually say to a director, you know, quite often, like, I've done a few things or I've, there's a few things I've tried. So, you know, there's some surprises in there, but yeah, with in terms of the assembly, you're, you're basically trying to get all the beats in there because the director and the producer, the producers especially want to see, do we have everything? Do we have a movie? Yeah. Do we have a movie? What do we need to reshoot if we had to? Yes, exactly. Yeah. They want, they want to see, you know, do we have all the bits? Do we have yeah. all the pieces? Have I wasted my money on this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's my sort of responsibility to the producer. That's my responsibility to the, kind of director is to yeah to show what i mean it's, it's always going to be an interpretation mm. and i'm always going to make choices that the director is surprised by or disagrees with or whatever but i'm trying to you know i basically in my kind of reading of the script and chats with the director trying to figure out the film that's in their head mm. and so the assembly is a kind of a bit of a weird one and it's a a rushed mix of an interpretation of the director's thoughts and interpretation of my thoughts 
a version and a representation of the script. So I think that's part of the reason why it ends up as a bit of a mess in assemblies, to be honest. I mean, I don't like, I think actually the assembly on Wolves was surprisingly good. I mean, I remember <laughs> sitting and watching it, not surprising that I didn't expect specifically to be good, but surprising in that you watch assemblies and you're like, there's a lot of work mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. But when I watched that, I was like, yeah, there's a lot of work to do, but also like the story's there. Like it's all there and it's all in the right place. I mean, yeah. I think we did very, very little rearranging of stuff if anything yeah i think we did we did do because i remember there's there's a slight continuity which wonderfully no one's ever noticed because the scene was supposed to be later on in the film and he's given his jacket away at that point to to one of the other characters so that's the only thing we noticed because we wanted to tell the certain scene was quite long we wanted to split it up and stuff and and when one character dies we were very aware of okay how do we tell this without oh as a whole exposition bit can we put bits in between so that was the only bit we really moved around around that death scene and it's true i remember seeing that assembly going might be the best assembly i've ever seen um (laughs) you know you're like okay that's really strong you know of course there's a load of work to do of course there's stuff that you're just going oh that's horrible and that doesn't work and why did i shoot that or why is that shot in there all that kind of stuff you do but that's the point isn't it that's when you start to play with for me, that's the best time because now you're just trying to make it better, constantly chipping away at it to go, okay, how can we make that better, funnier, sharper, more dramatic, more thrilling? And you just keep honing. You keep honing, don't you? Right? Mm. What's, your, what's your process like during that time? And what do you like to do? What's the things you've learned over the time that, that really help? I think like the edit moves through phases which you kind of have to approach differently. I think, you know, it's like some editors really dislike certain stages or really like certain stages. Like a lot of editors hate assemblies. I mean, I, despite the, you know, the f- flow of the kind of step of making an assembly, I do actually quite like, you know, you have the script for the scene and you get the rushes and you're like, ooh, what's, what am I going to get in this, you know? Mm. And it's just kind of you sat there on your own with like the rushes just like build a scene, mm-hmm. you know? And I, so I really enjoy that. And then once you get into the sort of the director's cut, then you are shaping them more towards I guess there's two things it's kind of you're shaping towards what the director wants but you're also trying to solve problems and I kind of feel like the director's cut is is those two things you know like let's really I've had a stab at it in these things let's really have put together a version of the, the film that the director you know wants you know hence the name director's cut problem solving yeah, yeah it really you're looking for what are the big problems what are the big story problems you know whether it's structure whether it's performance whether it's like things that just don't make sense you know like pacing and things like that you kind of worry about later on but i always feel like the director's cut is about you know and often quite early on you'll kind of start like experiment a little bit with kind of moving stuff around mm-hmm. i try not to like lose scenes too early i think you have to even though there's always scenes that you look at and you think oh, i don't rarely <laughs> to be honest i think most of the time when you look at a scene and saying oh, i'm not sure this is gonna like we need the scene like rarely does it actually end up staying in the film but i think you need to kind of work a scene and let it live in the film for a bit before you decide to to kind of kill it but uh, yeah that's the kind of stage where you do start to experiment with like you know i've done stuff i mean i did a, a feature a few years ago where good few years ago now where you know 
the director and I watched the assembly separately and like we were both like okay we have a big problem with like the shape mm-hmm. you know and we both were like okay this is like this we both saw the same problem and you know and it was kind of like we had two kind of big events and one was kind of too early and it meant that like the second act was just so long and you know you had kind of typical kind of second act baggy second act problem you know and so we kind of like the first thing we did basically was like move a load of scenes before this kind of big set piece you know, we kind of like moved all our kind of character scenes from the middle of the film to early on. And then, which meant that we kind of then spent the first part of the film getting all the characters. And then once this big set piece happened, then we kind of were more in the story about building towards the end. You know, and you often do kind of stuff like that where, like on the page, you read on the page and it's like, oh, this works, this is fine. And then you see it on screen and suddenly you're like, no, 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 this is mm-hmm. like, this is, you just see it immediately, this is wrong, this is, you know. Yeah. And I think that's really great for screenwriters as well. If, you know, if you get a chance to go in the edit and see your work and why your stuff gets cut out or why you should have cut that out in the script stage but it's sometimes you don't know like you say on page it reads brilliantly or it works with the arcs of the stories but you get in the edit and you're like nah don't need it you're repeating something you've said before it's just get to the point what no one cares you know we've got the characters we've got the essence and you've got to make a you know really with an indie film a 90 minute movie you can't take the piss people just you know you can't deliver a 100 minute movie and you might not sell it it's very difficult you know and often like say i think the the script cut like you said that we can't remember how long that was but maybe two hours i don't know you know what i mean it's like it's long maybe it wasn't too long but anyway you you end up like say going down if there's a way to save that time uh, in the script stage you've actually got to do it but in the edit then you see these things and you go that that's not working let's change that and we did that a lot there was just stuff we just hacked out just all the time nah don't need it move on and you were great at that you're very um direct and very like i don't think we need this this just doesn't tell us anything new or let's move forward or how can we get to the next bit apparently i don't have a poker face <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know i don't know whether it's just uh, the personality of being a northerner or whatever but i do i do kind of feel like and i do i do try it you know i don't try and be like um uncaring in how i deliver but i do i think I, you know i think you do have to and there's, I mean, there's a whole topic in itself talking about like direct editor relationships, you know, for, for an editor, you know, that's the key relationship. It's, you know, they're the person we spend the most time with. They're the person whose mm. kind of coattails we're trying to hang on to career wise. And I think you do have to, like, ideally you end up in a situation where you do have a close creative collaboration where you can be like honest about the material. And I think like the director, you know, it's easier for an editor to be honest about um, the material because, I, I didn't shoot it. I don't. I don't care how much money was spent on it. I don't care how mm-hmm. difficult it was to get a particular shot. Mm-hmm. And I, you know. And but I think that directors need to. And it does take time. And I understand that it takes time. But to kind of get over the shoot and get away from the shoot and kind of move away from you know what you wanted the film to be and what the what the film isn't becoming and, and all those kind of things and to read be honest about what the material is and, and what the material can be. And I think you know you will have conversations in the edit. Like between the two you they won't go anywhere else that won't you know you won't talk to the producers about these things and you will you know you would ideally be able to properly interrogate the material and to you know to really work it and see what it does and sometimes you know a director will kind of persist with an idea you know and you've got to let them persist with an idea and gently tell them that i must that's just like we tried six different ways and you just the material isn't there the shots aren't telling the audience the things that you want the audience to tell or whatever it is but i do think it's important you know as an editor to focus on those relationships and to build trust with the director because i think it's you know 
for for both parties, you know, you want to have a collaborator who you can trust and who you know is doing their role, um, is being honest with you, and is helping you to shepherd the film through. Why is it difficult? You know, it's difficult to make a film. It's difficult to edit a film. And, and often you get, you know, you get through the kind of chaos of the shoot and you think, oh, to, you know, get into the edit and the director gets in the edit and it's like, right, okay, a bit of peace and quiet. But then, you know, things happen and producers get stressed and the money's all spent and, you know, deadlines are approaching. And, you know, there are, there are, there can be challenges that, you know, as an editor, you try and kind of push aside so that you can you know you and the director can focus on making the best film possible no i think that's vital and such great advice we can hold on to stuff directors and producers we go oh my god that was so hard to shoot that day oh my god i got this beautiful reaction from so and so and you hang on to it and you keep it in the movie because something happened massively at the time and but actually it doesn't matter you get into the edit room and no one else cares what you went through on set no one else cares how great that shot was or how hard you had to work for it or you had to battle the biggest elements in the world just to get that shot no one cares no one cares watching the movie, what you had to go through or the arguments that happened or didn't happen. It doesn't matter. What matters is the story. And it's vital you said that and so important to, to, that's why directors need to step away for a while and really probably shouldn't edit their own films. Certainly you have to have someone else with you, in my opinion, because there's no way. I, I'm too close to it. I'm too precious. And that's why I'm like, no, go away for a month or whatever. You come back with your um, script cut. Uh, and then we, you know, we build from there. Because then you see it with fresh eyes. It's horrible, but you see it. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So with the Walls of War, what's the nice big, nice moments uh, where you thought, oh, that really worked for you in terms of, oh, I could edit that nicely. Oh, I could pull on this section or hang on this character a little bit more. Was there any moments you remembered from that? There was one particular moment that taught me a lesson about filmmaking and about editing and about information i'm kind of big on this idea of like information and emotion being the two things that you know that we as filmmakers kind of manipulate you know the information in the sense that you know the audience needs to understand what's going on and who characters are and why someone did this and what have you you know and the balance you're trying to get with that is you know too much information is boring and too little information is confusing and so you have to find the balance of information but you can also play about with how you deliver information there's a scene in wolves where there's a nazi soldier jim soldier throws a grenade at our heroes and we had a version of the scene we were like that's fine that's cool mm -hmm. and then it went out from notes and at least a couple of people came back and said oh I'll lose the shot of the guy throwing the grenade mm -hmm. and we were like what why yeah why would we, we need to know where it comes from yeah yeah that wouldn't make sense buddy anyway, we, we tried it as you do and it worked so much better and on reflection i realized that the reason we this version without the shot of and throwing the grenade was so much stronger is it we didn't withhold any information from the audience. We showed a guy throwing a grenade, mm -hmm. but then we had our characters didn't realize and didn't react until several seconds later. So suddenly we were ahead of the audience as a viewer. Whereas the shot without seeing the guy throw a grenade, you see something throw, fall through the shot and something here, something hit the ground. And, you know, it's a World War II film with German soldiers and somebody threw something. So it's probably a grenade, right. but you're not sure. Mm -hmm. So now there's mystery and there's tension. And you're like, oh, was that? Was that a grenade? And then the characters, and then you see it, and the characters scene you're like oh no shit it's a grenade and that was an interesting lesson for me in terms of like you know it's it's very easy to kind of 
cut things in a film and build a scene in a certain way and then look at it and go, yeah, it works fine. Mm. But, you know, that's why it's good to get feedback. It's always good to, like, figure out how to see stuff, you know, Mm. from the outside and see it fresh because I think that was, like, that was a moment where I thought, like, oh, yeah, we did an okay version, but actually there's there's a better version in there and it took other people yeah. to, to help us find that. But it's, you know, it's one of those kind of little lessons that you kind of took away of like, I oh, remember this, you know, mm-hmm. you know, don't make, make sure that you're not, you're not just going boom, 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 boom in terms of what happens, mm-hmm. you know, because it can, you know, sometimes you can just put too much in, you know, and not obviously so, but put too much in. It just kind of makes the audience feel like, yeah, I know what's going on here. And, you know, I always feel like you want to just try and be like a tiny bit ahead of the audience, just a tiny bit ahead of the audience. So they're just having to kind of leap, leap to catch up. And, you know, they're filling in kind of gaps and making, you know, mental leaps and, and that kind of thing. And I think that was one moment where we, you know, by removing that shot, you created a doubt and tension and suspense where you're like, I think that was a grenade, but I don't know. Yes. You know, because it's, because, it, you know, it comes down to that thing of like kind of questions, you know, one is it the David Mitchell, the writers, um, he had a line about uh, how story is a question making machine. And I think that's a really good sort of, I think about that a lot in terms of like, oh, well, what, you know, when you sit down as a viewer, what is it that grabs you? What is it that makes you want to watch? You know, those those moments where you're kind of like someone else is watching someone on the TV or whatever, and you come in and you're like, oh, you're watching. And then you have no idea what it is and you don't care what it is, but you end up kind of spending 10 minutes sat on the end of the sofa. Kids are like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen with so-and-so, you know? Exactly, yeah. And I think ideally is, you know, that's a lot of kind of narrative especially mainstream kind of narrative stuff like that's what it's doing it's like it's asking questions and or setting up situations that makes you as a viewer ask questions and you know what grabs you is like oh you know i want to find out the answer to the questions what's going what's going to happen when so-and-so does this or what's going to happen when she finds out about that and what happens when he goes over there you know it's all those kind of things that like you know audiences have this sort of running commentary of questions they're asking and i think as a filmmaker it's it's really useful to tap into tap into that of like you know what what is a viewer or what would i do as a viewer be thinking as i'm watching this film am i thinking yeah it's a good hit you know it's a good hit blah 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 yeah. or are we thinking oh sorry oh shit was i grenade you know mm-hmm. obviously you want the latter rather than the former yeah but isn't it fascinating how we think oh we need to see that and both me and you went no no of course that seems silly to take it out it's fascinating how it totally worked without it totally worked and so much better and it, it was a huge lesson it was fascinating there, there was a scene in the movie right at the end when he's got the gun uh they're about who's going to shoot the kid who's not and we've got this this uh like moment and I thought you did brilliantly in building that suspense. And I know I kept pushing. I was like, no, no, let's hold longer. Let's let's see how long we can push this. And you did, and you did it so brilliantly in really eking out the suspense without it going too far. It's like, will someone get shot or not? How far can we push this? And that's great. And that's that's what's a great collaboration is is just going, okay, cool. I'm going to keep pushing it. It might be too much. All right, let me keep pushing. Let me keep pushing. And eventually you go, yeah, that's it. That's the beat, you know? And that is almost like the, the rubber band effect, isn't it? Keep pulling back, pulling back, pulling back. Mm. And you've got, like you said, keep your audience on their toes and what 
is coming next um, is fascinating. Tips for editors out there. I mean, you've given so many already, actually, in this short space of time. I'm just a tip machine. You're just a tip machine. It's like literally you're like a fairground ride where someone puts a 2p coin in. That's how much of a tip machine you are. Is that how cheap I am? 2p? Or... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's how much you cost. Tip, two pounds, that's two pence. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I guess my, um, I'm going to plug something a bit here. So as part of kind of a bit of a lockdown project, I um, started kind of a website well ended up starting at the beginning of this year about mm-hmm. editing and I kind of felt like I was at the point where I had a lot of stuff I'd learned that I wanted to speak to the me of 10-15 years ago and kind of put the stuff in one place. Uh, what's the name of it the website? It's it's called The Cutting Room um, oh, nice. cuttingroom.info mm-hmm. um, and it's just it's yeah it's just basically a kind of me just putting down all the stuff I've learned from this, that, and the other, and people and work and what have you into a place that, you know, because I think that people will, you know, a lot of editing stuff online is technical. And I think that, like, yes, editing is a technical job, but it's more of a creative job. And the kind of mantra or whatever of that website is to, you know, like an editor's job is to make decisions. And ideally, you want to make good decisions or really good decisions. I guess my one kind of overall advice to editors is to think about the decisions you need to make and how you make good ones. And that is like a broad, all-encompassing thing. Like I'm a big believer that, you know, you should think about what you do and not just do it i think you know a lot of editors talk about like oh yeah it's just instinct you can't teach editing and i don't think that's true i think you know someone someone said to me a few years ago a much more experienced editor he said oh you've got not to big myself up he said oh you clearly got a natural talent for editing and i was like i'm not really sure i do i kind of feel like i've just spent 20 years learning how to do it like reading stuff and watching stuff and thinking about stuff and editing stuff and i think that you know clearly if you want like anything if you have like some sort of a natural propensity to it not necessarily talent you know in terms of your personality because you know to sit in a room day after day after day at a computer with a director i mean people some people just can't do that you know (laughs) you have to have a lot of patience as an editor Mm. you know and i think that like to be a really good editor you need to learn and understand a lot of things you know and I think that to just to think of yourself as someone who comes in and pushes buttons and moves stuff around, like is doing yourself and, and, and the craft of editing and of filmmaking a disservice. So I guess I would encourage everyone to, like, I would just think of like people like Walter Merch and, you know, who are always, I know he's the one whose name always comes up and sure. guys like Angus Wall and Kirk Baxter and Pietro Scalia and like all those guys are like, usually guys, but there's a lot of, you know, Selma Shoemaker and Dee Dee Allen and Verna Fields and, and, you know, and all those mm-hmm. female editors as well. I don't, you know, I don't say that to, at all. Dismay. And the fact that my, several of my favorite editors are female editors, Dee Dee yeah. Allen especially, he's cuts of like uh, Dog Day Afternoon, absolutely. I mean, she was a brilliant editor. Anne Courts, the Lawrence Arabia, you know, I think there is a, if I'm honest, I kind of feel like women make better editors than men do. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> They make better directors too, but you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I, don't, I think women are just generally better than men around. Yeah, absolutely agree um, with that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I think so. I think like you know, you you read stuff and you see interviews with these people, and they're clearly very smart, but they're clearly also like open to influences and talking to people and reading things and watching things and understanding things. And I think the more that you can understand the world, but people especially, I think it's the better you will become as an editor. And that's certainly what I try to do. It's taken me so far <laughs> um, you know and I think that um, you know I think that it's easy to think and I think especially when a lot of people in the industry producers a lot of producers don't really understand why others do they diminish you know what we do and what role we have and you know and sometimes, sometimes you end up on a project that you know with a producer who clearly thinks that you're the editors are just well just shove it all together and you know blah 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 like you know it's not difficult you know so it can be easy just to think that you're you know just a small cog in the machine and i actually think you know an editor is you know is bigger than that and is more important that you know it's <laughs> to, to you know, to talk ourselves up a little it's you know we <laughs> everything that's shot comes to us mm -hmm. you know yes we sit with a director but the director doesn't sit there and tell us what to do you know mm -hmm. sometimes they say do this and do that and we do it and sometimes we say oh how about we do this or do this other thing mm -hmm. and i think that you know that you've got to i think that as an editor even if no one else values the craft i think an editor should value the craft of editing and should you know push themselves to understand as much as possible not just about editing but about all the things that you know like psychology psychology you know films are for people like understanding how people take and what people are interested in and how people work you know in terms of your viewers but also in terms of the people you work with you know i think that's that's really important so i guess my kind of general overall you know bit of advice to to editors would be you know don't sell yourself short you know you are you are important to the film and you know, and you have a responsibility to the film as well. You know, people hired you to do a job and to do that job well. And in order to do that job well, you know, you have to understand how to tell stories and how to talk to, you know, audiences and how to excite and scare and amuse audiences. And that's that's not easy. It's it's not easy. It's not, you know, talking about the kind of, kind of tense sequences and wars, you know, cutting for tension is, I could say, an absolute key skill. But it's also really difficult. Like, it's di how long do you hold something? How do you do you put this bit of information in? Do you put it here? Do you put it there? Do you not put it anywhere? You know what? This stuff is, it's not easy. And that's why it takes so long to edit a film, you know? Because it's, a lot of it is trial and error, you know? How are you going to execute the things that you're trying to execute? Amazing. Amazing. Neil, thank you so much, man. This has been really cool. That's all right. Just need someone to edit down my rambling now. Yeah, exactly. So right, we'll do a we'll do a script cut of uh, of your ramblings. Script cut, you need a fine cut, mate. <laughs> right, it's going straight to a fine cut. Uh, we'll do a director's cut. We did do that. I mean, that pass, that last pass we did on Wolves, mm. I think we took out eight or nine minutes. We did, yeah. And that wasn't just hacking out big chunks. I mean, that was just literally going through it and being like do we need this line yep. do we need this shot and our bonus tip bonus tip yeah you know i think that's a bit that someone gets forgetting that kind of last stage where you're like oh everything's working because i think you, you often you will in a film you will like work every moment and that kind of flatten things out a bit and i think it's really important to go back at the end and just really look at it as a whole and think like well, where are we too slow yes. where are we too fast you know pace it and really that pass really needs to be about just because the film's probably slower than you think it is. Yeah, always. Yeah, yeah. And those little fine cuts were fantastic, weren't they? Just to go through and go, hack, 
chip, 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 chip. And that was amazing to just go, it still works. And we've cut out eight, nine minutes, you know, and no one will ever know. It's now those things didn't matter. They weren't important. I don't know what we cut out. I don't remember. I don't know. <laughs> you know, don't remember. <laughs> just stuff. Stuff that was incidental, an extra look or an extra huff or a beat. or And often it's just taking off that second or the, the frame. So it's just, just taking off a frame, constantly take off a frame, take off a frame. And actually just to get to the point quicker, no one notices. It just moves the story along. You haven't got that weight of, oh, it's another scene or it's another scene. But uh, amazing. Yeah, the audience are smaller than filmmakers most of the time. Well, they've seen movies before. They they. They know how they work. They know that someone will be pissed off if they say that line. You don't necessarily need to show them. Or if they've been pissed off in the scene before, you get it. You're like, uh-oh. You want that. You don't want to cut straight to them. Build that. So, yeah, so much. Well, thanks, buddy. Enjoy your 72 hours in a row editing <laughs> marathon. <laughs> I'm going to go and cut this down into a script edit. Uh, well, Toby will. And, uh, yeah, um, thank you so much for your work on Walls. Um, no problem. Yeah, I'm really a joy to work with you. And, yeah, I hope everyone enjoys your fine cutting skills all right cheers buddy take care no problem cheers bye bye all right and to wrap this up let's chat with our composer christopher cook about composing for movies christopher is known for we go in at dawn code of silence and obviously now walls of war and when you watch the movie hopefully if you watch the movie the score is sensational it's so evocative and it's really interesting to hear our collaboration about how uh, we work together and how he likes to work with people and where sounds come from for him anyway you'll hear it all here it is uh, my chat with christopher how are you man yeah not too bad not too bad yeah just um you know busy on other projects and things and sort of you know tough deadlines and things like that but it's it's a lot of fun i'm having a lot of fun on some of these uh, more of these indie films and things just sort of you know just trying out different things this one's very different to the wolves of war that that we worked on it's you know it's a lot more kind of i guess like there's a lot more music in it in a way there's like there's like it, it's much denser in terms of like the amount of actual notes on the page through the through the whole thing well figurative page mm. um mm. but but yeah i mean yeah i've been having a lot of fun with that and i've been doing some other projects outside of film as well um okay. writing I, I write uh contemporary music for um like sort of contemporary classical music for ensembles and things so I've got a few projects coming up. Um, I wrote nice. a a piece for a brass band, which should hopefully be being performed at some point soon. Um, but it was workshopped a, a couple of months ago, and uh, it was really really fun. It's just like amazing writing for live performers. Like I just get so much out of that. Oh god, yeah, it must be. Yeah, what is what what is it about? you know writing music for a film or for a live uh, anything really what is it that you like about it what is it that made you go oh god dear, this feels amazing like you said there this feels amazing what is it when you're working with live players it's like the osmosis and sort of you're getting your ideas like done way better than you could possibly ever imagine them being done mm. um so I, th I think they're sort of two things i mean of course like higher budget productions will have more uh, scope to have like more live players playing your stuff but yeah in, in in terms of sort of writing for people i i just i find that really amazing really exciting and you know really discovering things that i never knew about writing for an instrument so like how to make things that i'm writing more effective for 
a particular instrument like that's always really rewarding when you're like one-on-one -on -one with someone and understanding what they're doing <laughs> basically how much that it must be did you like study i mean you must know so much about so many instruments then right yeah I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's yeah <laughs> and it, I'm, i mean a lot of it is experience working with people but there are the books you have to study, which is which can be a bit boring, but it kind of has to be done. Uh, but that only gets you to a certain level. Like you can't go beyond that until you're actually interacting with people and you're really like working closely with someone. I'm actually still kind of studying actually because um, I'm at the uh, Royal Northern College of Music, so I'm still sort of doing doing work like kind of um, contemporary music is what allows me to get all these performances and things at this stage of my career. So it's amazing that you say at this stage of your career and yet, you know, you've already had a great career, you know, in terms of making films and composing for films and yet you're still studying. And that's huge testament to you. The fact that you're, you know, you're still studying and you've got all these great credits behind you already. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's says it's going to be a good career for you. Right. Well, I think like you can't like rest. Like I always think I have to be learning. I have to be like improving myself because like, well, that's very kind of you to say. Yeah, but I, I just I always feel like I'm not there yet. And I don't think I'll ever feel I'm there yet, but it's just like sort of continual development, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I don't think any of us ever feel like we're there yet. I, I imagine or maybe Spielberg does, but even then he thinks, no, I will still want to do this or I've got that to do, you know, so I, I don't think it ever stops. Absolutely. I mean, like John Williams, for example, like he's right. He's he's what, 94 or something? Uh, or no, what is he? Like, no, he's 92. But like, sure. he's, 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 yeah, yeah, he's young. It's OK. It's OK. But he's still <laughs> like, you know, he's writing the new Indiana Jones film score yeah. at like 92 and just like it's insane that he's still like trying to do that stuff and mm. i know he he from interviews i've seen with him that he's still very self-critical and he's like you know he's always writing every day he writes i think there's someone said that he writes two minutes of music every day fully written out music every day whether he's on a project or not so wow. it's you know it's a testament to like is like determination it's sort of something that really inspires me to sort of keep writing because like if you can be like in your 90s and still writing stuff like that it's he must, he must be doing something right <laughs> yeah he must be and then you think well why don't i do that and that's that's a really good lesson for filmmakers out there and for anyone who wants to get into this business is yeah you've got to practice even at 92 93 he's still practicing and trying to get better at his craft or trying to find a new sound or and then you and the reason why that works as well is because then when you suddenly put under the kosh, you know, you get put to the test, right, we've got four weeks, you've got to write this whole score for this film. It's not like, oh my God, I haven't done this for a few weeks. Oh my God, I haven't, you know, it's literally, you're doing it every day anyway. He's like, yeah, yeah, cool. No worries. I'll just crack on with it. How did you find like being approached, you know, you, you, you did We Go In At Dawn, War Film, and then you did uh, Code of Silence as well, right? So, and then coming on to Wolves of War. How did it feel when you sort of went, oh, okay, I'm moving into film, I'm moving into that direction. And how did you approach it? And how do you approach it, I suppose? How do I approach it? I mean, that's a, it, it's a very broad question. Um, sure. I, <laughs> I like that. I'm good at broad. <laughs> uh, 
Well, I mean, every, every project is different, uh, as you know. I mean, it's it's sort of. I mean, the code of silence was very different to these war films that we've that I've been doing um, in terms of language, in terms of the whole approach. I mean, in that one, I actually had uh, a drummer and a, a guitarist, you know, record some stuff for me <laughs> for that. So that was sort of a different process. And there was there was a there was a long period of having I had like several kind of little tracks and I just sort of cut them up and sort of did a lot of manipulation with it. So it was there was a lot of work that went on in the kind of uh, sound design aspect of the film to sort of make everything flow and feel cohesive. Whereas the war films, they were more sort of working with traditional in instrumentation and sort of I guess getting inspiration from several things. I mean, I remember with uh, Wolves, you one of the early things you sent me was um, Hacksaw Ridge, um, mm. Rupert, Rupert Gregson Williams. And I, I just I got quite a lot from that score. Just just having a real listen, seeing what he'd actually done with the with you know getting the heart of the emotion out of it, but then also still feeling big and epic and like a sort of you know, epic kind of war film kind of feel to it. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's varies quite a lot between projects, but yeah, I, I think my kind of way of doing it is I always try and come up with a few themes before I start. So I have to have like character themes. So I, I had, I wrote Martha's theme for yeah. Wolves of War. Mm -hmm. That was like one of the first things I wrote and sent you. Mm. And then that sort of was the kind of seed that allowed me to sort of expand the rest of the score. Yes. Um, I think, I think with all these projects, if you've got a blank sheet of paper, you're never going to be able to do anything. So you just have to just get something out, like whatever it is, whether it's bad or good, whatever, like just something. And then you can always just build on it. I love that. Same as writing the screenplay, just get it out, get, get it finished, get it to a place where you can go, all right, now it's an actual beginning, middle and end type story. And then you can come back. And it's interesting you approach things the same way because I just sort of say to you, oh, okay, I'd like it to be like Axel Ridge or I'd like it to be like, you know, whatever movie. You know, I'm chucking stuff at you. I was chucking quite a few sort of uh, films that I felt fit the mold. How does that feel then as a composer? And, and what do you like to get? You know, does that help you? Maybe like chucking Hacksaw Ridge at you and other things. Does that go, okay, he wants or she wants that kind of vibe? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the sort of initial points of inspiration, I think it's really important to have like for a director or someone to give you something which is in the realms of what they want. Yeah. I think where it becomes tricky is when a whole film is temped out, so it's got a full temp score, and then director is like, oh, I want it exactly like that. But yes. it kind of needs to be a creative process for me as well to be able to sort of get to that point of creating the music that fits the scene. So I think, like, for me, I, I work best when I've got, like, something to expand upon that's that's like an initial point of inspiration for me so it does help okay that's good it does help a lot yeah how do you then go okay how do i find my own source like with martha's theme like you wrote for me and i was like oh this is really fantastic how is it you get there how is it you go okay well i'm you know you do you take ideas from the script from what i've told you from what goes through your mind do you think well writing music for me is is kind of i kind of work in a way of improvisation improvisation is sort of my way of getting things out so 
it's really hard for me to pinpoint exactly where a theme has come from in terms of like actually where the notes have actually come from in the in the score but it's sort of it's a general feeling inside me which i get when either i'm reading a script or i've you sent me the um the shots from from the shoot like even that mm. is was really useful and sort of gave me something to sort of build upon yeah i don't i don't really know like how to sort of describe how to write a theme it's quite it's quite a mystical process to me like i just don't know it. really it's even to you because obviously yeah i was it, yeah because it comes out of you this sort of <laughs> emotion i suppose it's like asking a screenwriter i suppose what how do you get that but with a screenwriter sometimes you can sit and go okay well this is the story i want to tell i want to go from this point and um, here's my beats but you, you're saying you don't do that. You just sort of organically go, okay, this feels right. She, with Martha's theme, for example, was she, the character seems to be, you know, lost or they're, they're afraid. So you're just sort of feeling that out as you sort of find it. Cause that's magical if so. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it is. I mean, there are, there are other things as well, which can affect it when you're watching the film sometimes, and this has happened on a few occasions, I've been sort of listening to the dialogue of uh, an actor and sort of hearing the cadence of their voice or the kind of, I guess, like timbre, uh, you know, even of their voice. And that's often given me like language to work with. So if, that maybe if they speak in a certain way, it sort of gives me something. And that's it's kind of funny. It seems kind of silly. Like it's almost like, you know, onomatopoeic in a way or something. Mm -hmm. Like it's just taking their like actual sound of their voice and translating it somehow. That's that's also fun as well that, <laughs> that sometimes works yeah well what i'm so all right well that's a set, like you're saying there sometimes it works what happens when you feel like it's not working how do you get over that to make it work well i think that kind of happens with with everything i do i'm always like that oh, okay so you know if i if we were still working on wolves of war i'd still be working on it i'd still be changing things right <laughs> You know, up till now. <laughs> we probably all would, right? I'd still be in the edit. I'd still be going, no, no, we can, I want to tweak this, let's go reshoot that, right? I think, yeah. you, but it has to be that point where you go, I've got to stop now. I have to just <laughs> yeah. trust. That's what deadlines are for. I mean, yeah, right. Like, literally, literally. Because yeah. <laughs> you can't do any more. And on Wolves, it was a tight deadline. It was like, look, this is, we have to deliver now. This is what we've got. And even then, I still asked you to change something last minute, which is, <laughs> no, that's like, which was naughty of me. But at the same time, <laughs> yeah. I needed it. It was like I needed that. You know, when you, you get to the point of, oh, God, this is it final now. I just <laughs> wanted that little bit done. And it was nothing you'd done wrong. It was just something I'd seen or wanted different. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For other composers out there, are people sort of listening to this or directors going, OK, how do I work with a composer? What is it you like about working with a director or producer, you know, to, to get out what they're asking for? What, what, is, what works? What works is like a lot of communication, basically. Um, and I think what's difficult is when a director is like changing where they're going with the film. I mean, if you send them a load of stuff and they say, oh, I like this, I like this, I like this. And then suddenly there's a left turn and they're like, oh, no, we're going to do everything different. It's like all that development that, that the composer's done before that mm. is kind of lost. And they're like, you know, in the wilderness, basically. That's that's you know, the, probably the most worrying stage to be in. And that's why it's mm. really important, the communication, I'd say. Like, it's just, like, you've always got to be on it with the director. Because there's, like, I, I, I get anxious just thinking about it, just, like, getting to an end of a project and, like, submitting everything. And then, oh, the director might not like everything I've done so far. Yes. <laughs> 
And then what, then what do I do? Like, it's like, it's like a lot of work. Like it's almost impossible to go and change everything at that point. Yeah. Then you've got to rechange it and redo everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember sending you quite a lot of examples and we going backs and forwards on the score. And I, I'm, uh, you know, I, I play the piano a bit, so I feel I'm quite musical. But compared to a composer, I'm nowhere near musical. But I at least kind of know what I want. I know what I feel. And I'll often listen to music when I write or when I'm developing the project I'm about to direct. I'm like, what is this talent? What's the mood of this? So I think that helps me when, you know, speaking to you and saying, okay, this is what I'd like from this. So yeah, I really liked our collaboration. I really loved what you delivered. And it's funny how I find composers or editors can just sort of get what you want. And, <laughs> but it must be really com confusing and annoying when, like I say, you're not really getting like, Oh, just you've, you've seen it. Go make it work. You're like, OK, well, I need a steer in some way. Does it help if someone's really musical, like really almost to the T? No, I need you to just go up an octave here or, or uh, yeah, a note here on that string a little bit longer. Is that too hands on almost paint by numbers? Yeah, I, th I think you need to be like directors. Like, I think if they're too involved in like, I want this, if they say so, the, the worst thing a director can say is like, I want this minor. And you're like, what do you mean minor? Like that, that yes. could mean, that could mean anything. Like, like, what do you mean? Do you mean more sad? I think like the, like really good feedback from directors is when they're like, your feedback was great because it was like, I'll oh, point up the gun for instance. Mm. And, and I was like, oh, oh, that's what that means. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we'll build into that and like, make sure that's like highlighted. And I think like that kind of feedback is really useful, but if it's like getting into the territory of musically, I remember there were a couple of things that you said, like you, you said you wanted an oboe at one point you wanted, like there were certain musical devices that you wanted to do and that's kind of fine. And I think that's actually mm. really helpful because it sort of helps with the language. But when it's like, you know, really minutiae of sort of things, it's like, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't do that because it's like, yeah. I have to change the way I'm thinking. But then again, I mean, as a composer, we're not always necessarily seeing the full picture. And sometimes like we may question a change, but actually if it's, it may be serving something that we're not aware of basically, like mm. in the, <laughs> In the director's vision, I guess. Yeah, that's, that's really, really interesting. How do you feel about Walls of War now? You know, after, you know, what, what it's maybe six months and we're, since we finished post? I can't remember now, since, since you finished your side of it. How do you feel now looking back and going, okay, this is where we're at and, you know, that's the finished piece. It's out there in the world. Well, for one thing, I'd say it's, it's not mine anymore. And honestly, like, I, I would probably feel like I've kind of, moved on or I would want to try and do something different or explore somewhere different in, in the way I would tell the story. Um, I think there are, there are things which I would definitely improve. I would want to use a little bit more live cello if possible. I would probably want to like, you know, change some of the, well, there were like loads of things which I would change, like mixing and all sorts of things like that. But, uh, I was, quite happy with the overall shape of it. I think it's musically cohesive. And that was the thing I was going for from the beginning, like sort of making sure that it's this theme that's carried through the whole film. And 
I'm I'm happy with it as a as a thing, but <laughs> of course, like we would just change things forever if we could. Exactly. No, no. And I thought you did a brilliant job, so thank you. Oh, thank you so really much. Really appreciate it. Final bit of advice for composers coming up. Then I know you're coming up. And you still feel like you're new, <laughs> but what what would you advice that you would give to someone to try and get a job like you did on a couple of features straight away? Well, I think the way I got features was basically I just put stuff out there and kept like writing music and uploading music and doing competitions and things like that. And basically making friends with people as well is also really, really important. So I'd say that's like how I was able to get into this. Basically in terms of advice, I'd say make friends with your sound designer because that's like absolutely key because they have control over your music. They have like everything. And if you can integrate with what they're doing, then it's, it's, gonna work basically <laughs> amazing thank you so much man that's been really cool and congratulations you should be very proud oh thank you <laughs> so there you have it that is our wolves of war special i hope you enjoyed this uh, i hope it's inspired you to go out there and make your movies and remember if you are lucky enough to rise up and do well it is your duty to send the elevator back down we will see you next tuesday as always thank you for your time thank you for your support bye for now bye